One more time, I just want to say welcome to, to Walk Church and for those joining us online as well, it's an honor to have you joining us here today. Uh, we're in a series called The Parable Collection. We're in The Parable Collection, and this is going to be the final uh, sermon in this series, at least for now, because there's still a bunch more parables. You can go ahead and do some extra credit, look them up on your own. Uh, there's so many good parables, but this will be our eighth uh, installment into this series, and I'm excited about this one because this parable has been speaking to me lately, and I think out of all eight, it really represents something very unique and intentional uh, from the Lord, as all of them do, but this one specifically um, is important for eternity. In fact, I was listening to uh, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, who went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago. Here's what he said about this parable. Sproul says, I can't think of any parable that Jesus ever gave that was more important for us to hear than the one that we're going to look at here today. So I want you, I'm just setting the, the appetite, setting the course, the setting, the context for what we're about to look at. It's in Luke chapter 18. It's coming right on the heels of what Jesus introduced us to last week with the praying persistent widow who got God's attention through her persistent prayer. Jesus says, hey, here's how you ought always to pray and not give up. And he gives this example of a praying widow who just kept bothering a judge. And Jesus says, well, how much more, right? Well, I listen if he listened. And because God is always listening, we should always be praying, amen, and having this ongoing dialogue with the Lord. Right on the outset of that, Jesus enters into this next parable uh, known as the Pharisee and the tax collector. So join me in Luke chapter 18. We're going to kick it off in verse 9, and let's go all the way to 14. All right? Sounds good? Yeah. Okay, I like this side. I don't know about this side yet. But we're looking at the Pharisee and the tax collector, Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. let's eat. Let's eat. Well, God, right now as we prepare to eat from your word, Man doesn't live off bread alone. God, we need a word from the word. So everybody, join me in this prayer right now. Let's just have this unified prayer. Just say, Lord, speak. I'm listening. Help me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 18, kicking off in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But verse 13 tells us the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be 
exalted. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord here today. Luke chapter 18, verses 9, all the way through 14. It's a very important parable, as I said already, because this parable speaks to eternity. This parable speaks about justification before God. What does it look like and what does it mean to be, in quote, justified? This parable is something that Jesus uses to uh, communicate that point. Up to this point, we, we kicked it off with a parable about the loving father. That was the first parable we looked at at the start of the summer. Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives a parable. It talks about two sons. One was far from God. One was near the house, and Jesus says, I love them both. I want them both to come inside, and I want them both to experience the joy of my presence. We looked at a parable that Pastor Josh Carter talked about, the Good Samaritan out of Luke 10, where Jesus is the hero of that story. It's, it's not us. We're actually the ones on the side of the road in desperate need of him, and praise God that he helps. He calls us to be helpers as well. We looked at the parable of the Minas in Luke chapter 19, which is a parable about the kingdom of God, how, how Jesus gives each and every one of us gifts, talents, treasures, and he, he expects us to use them for his glory. He wants a return on his investment. He's saying, I'm invested in you. Bring some kingdom fruit with you. Amen? We looked at the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed starts small. It grows big over time. And then it blesses other people around you. The mustard seed has great potential as it's growing. We looked at the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil out of Matthew 13 and how there's this sower. He's not a good sower. Why? Because he's just throwing seeds everywhere on the ground, on the rocky path, on the thorny bushes, on the good soil. In other words, we should all be sowing. You might not know what type of soil it'll land on, but just sow it anyway and trust God to bring the increase. We should all be sowing. We should all be watering and God is doing the growing. Amen. Amen. We looked at the parable of the fool in Luke chapter 10, where there's this individual who says in his heart, I don't need God. I got all types of stuff. In fact, I need to build bigger barns. I got so much stuff. He found his identity in his possessions. And God says, you fool. So the most foolish thing to do is to try to find your saving in your stuff. Come on, how many of you know your stuff can't save you? Your stuff can't help you on the day when you need it or you think you may need it. It, It's not going to speak. It's just going to sit there. You know why? Because it's stuff. The proverb says you actually are storing it up for someone else to take it one day. So you probably want to be wise in who that goes to in some capacity. In other words, don't find your identity in it. It's okay to have it, but it doesn't define who you are. That's the par- he, said, he said, if you live that way, that's f- God says that's foolish. Next parable we looked at is the parable of the persistent widow that we already defined as this woman who's, who's praying with persistence. God says, don't give up on your prayers. Um, I hear you. I'm for you. In fact, in the first service... Uh, a couple came up and said, hey, do you remember three years ago when we prayed for this individual? And I said, I think so. <laughs> and they said, well, he's here. Finally. And we were, we, we, were, we were hanging out the other night, 
And he said, hey, I don't believe in the God stuff. Don't just go there with me. And then there was another individual who tried to encourage him in the Lord and speak the word of God. And then finally he said, you know what? Maybe God is real. Can I come to church on Sunday? And was here today with his fiance, and we were celebrating God's activity, and we prayed together. In other words, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Well, now we make it into this eighth and final parable that we're going to look at, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Similar to last week's parable we discussed at the beginning of chapter 18 of Luke, uh, Jesus gives the reason behind the parable in this opening statement in verse 9. All right? If you're ready, say ready. ready. Come on, let's look at verse 9 together. It says, he also told this parable to some, here we go, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. It's important that we understand the setting here because we learn why Jesus shared this parable. And it's, I think right off the bat, I just want to say that this idea of trusting in yourself for your own righteousness is the wrong way to go about faith. Self-righteousness is not going to help anyone in this room. Not only is it not going to help anyone in this room, it's going to be stinky to people outside of this room. Can I just use that word? I, I use that word because on the journey of church planting, hey, guess what? Our church is going to celebrate eight years next month. Yeah. Come on. Right? Next month, September 17th. September 17th, circle it, mark it, bookmark it, save the date. We want you to join us. We're going to have three awesome services. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to eat tacos and cake. Come on. Yeah. It's going to be a, a great time. Uh, and we're going to have a new theme for this year eight, and it's going to be great. I want to encourage you to be there. But can I just say, just right off the bat, over the past eight years, on this journey of following Jesus, the stench that is the most distasteful to me is the stench of self-righteousness. This idea that I'm better than you because of who I am in my religiosity to the point that you start looking down on the people around you as if you got something better than them. Jesus has a parable if that's where you're at today. Jesus says, oh, if, if you are trusting in yourself, in your righteousness, I got a parable for you. What's a parable? Let me just go ahead and define it. My last time defining it for a while, parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral spiritual lesson. Jesus goes, I got a spiritual story. This is really simple. It's not long. It's just a few verses to try to get to the heart, to the root of the problem within you. Self-righteousness. Let me give you the definition of the word contempt, to, to look on somebody with uh, contempt. Jesus says, he told them this parable for those who trusted in their own righteousness and looked down on others with contempt. Um, contempt means the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath you. It's beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. I'm just going to make a statement here. It's going to rub some people the wrong way. And I've already decided in my head, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I've already realized there'll be an email. You might not even wait till Monday. It might be a Sunday email. I'm not going to read it. I'll catch it next week sometime. 
And, uh, you know, Pastor Mike will be glad to email you back. No, I'm just playing. I'll hit you back. I'll hit you back. Um, let me just say this. Feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or disservice. I just believe in a room this size. And let me just say I've, said, I've shared this in, in all of our services. I don't know who's all in the room. I don't know who's all online. In fact, I just met a bunch of new people, and I'm so glad you're here. But let me just say... If you see somebody walk in this church and maybe they just look a little dirty or maybe they're homeless or maybe they're broken and bruised and beaten down and they're tired or maybe they're a stripper or maybe they have been living an alternative lifestyle that you would not agree with and that you would be upset about or maybe they're a bartender or maybe they just got done dealing cards and made their way into this church. If for a second you look at them and think you, you're better, this parable's for you. There's a, if you for a second are, if you're on our greeter team and you're saying welcome to church and then you go, ew, you missed your, your assignment, you missed your job. This is a space and a place where Jesus, in fact, says in the Gospel of Matthew, come to me all who are burdened. Come to me all who are weary. Come to me all who are heavy, and I will give you rest. Amen? So listen, if you're on the other side and you're in here today with your arms crossed and you're trusting in yourself and your own righteousness, you're invited too. You just smell bad. You're invited too. We, 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 we pray the Lord would work on you too. But the most distasteful thing in the world is self-righteousness, especially coming from Christians who have nothing in our hands we bring simply to the cross we cling. Like the best thing that we, we bring in this place is Christ. We don't bring in our own good deeds. If we stacked up our good deeds and compared it to our bad, we would lose. If somebody followed you with a camera for a week, you wouldn't want anybody to go near you. You'd be like, oh, I can't go there anymore. None of us have a reason to boast in ourselves. And so that's why I think this parable is so important. Amen? Are you with me? Yeah. And listen to me. Can I just say one disclaimer? If you come into this place and you're feeling heavy and you're feeling broken and you're feeling burdened, or maybe you have a lifestyle that, you, that the Bible would deem as sinful. And the, can I just tell you, anybody who's got close to Jesus, Jesus doesn't let them stay that way. That's part of the emphasis of walk church. You are invited. We have a space and a place. I see a bunch of open chairs. Sit by Japper. Come on. Jump online, stay online. But listen, expect Jesus to, to call you to say, take a next step. Don't just stay there. God has more for you. He doesn't want you to just attend an event. He wants a life transformation. But sometimes, come on, it just takes faith to just get in the room. Right? I, I remember somebody sharing that with, with Nina Early on in our church, hey, it's like, what do I wear? All I got is like my like club attire. Just get to church. We'll figure out the attire. We got a shirt for you. Come on, come on. <laughs> Hook up the merch store. I don't know. Just come. You know what I'm saying? We're not here to look down upon anybody. 
with contempt. We're, we're looking at people as fellow people who have been filled with grace. God in his kindness. Amen. All right. Are we ready for the parable? Yes. Let's go ahead and look at it together. We know, so look, look at verse 9 with me one more time. Because the why behind the what. You've got to understand the why Jesus preached this. He preached this to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here goes the parable. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray. Come on, everybody say two men. Two men. I wish I could just, I like, like just blur this for a second. Let's just stay there for a second. Because I want to just start by saying, these, we got two men who did a great thing. What'd they do? They went to the temple to pray. Woo! Yeah. They started off great, amen? Yeah. Jesus goes, hey, there's two individuals, and they came to the temple. They came to the place of worship in our tech. They came to church. Yeah. They made it. This is dope. And what was their motivation? I came to pray. I heard Pastor Hyden last week say, keep praying. So I showed up and I came here to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. And Jesus is narrating the parable. Here's what I'm going to attempt to do in, 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 a, in a few minutes. I'm going to try to give you six observations. All right. Now, normally I'm like a three point person. So this is going to be tough for me. And you got to buckle up and you got to take notes and get it all down. All right. I'll give you six. I'm going to tell you, I want to uh, share two, two observations about the Pharisee, two observations about the tax collector, two observations about Jesus, and then we'll take communion and respond. Amen? Amen. You ready? Yeah. First off, we look at the Pharisee. Now, it's important to know what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee in this time frame, in this culture, was an individual who was categorized as the religious elite. Men of God who studied the word of God, they woke up memorizing the word. They went to sleep memorizing the word. They had a very good passion to try to understand God and his word. Not only that, but they would fast and trust the Lord. Most people in the Jewish society had a holiday where one time a year they would take a day to fast. These Pharisees were fasting twice a week. They were passionate about tithing. They wanted to make sure that they followed and honored God in every aspect of their life. And not only that, the land, the community, the nation would look to the Pharisees for their spiritual help. They were the pastors, the, the, the communicators, the, the people that represented God. These were the Pharisees. Now, one of them showed up at the temple to pray, and he's feeling himself. He shows up, and right next to him at the same time, like an episode of This Is Us, right? It's like one person with this lifestyle and then one person with this lifestyle. It's like, here we are in the same spot, ready to pray. This Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And I just want to say, his prayer started off so good. God, I thank you. And then it went down so fast. God, can you just see him? He's kind of, I see him like he's off by himself and I don't know what type of pronunciation, but I just could see him like, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, huh? extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like you, <laughs> like this or like, or like God, even like this tax collector. 
over here. In fact, God, you should be impressed with me. Come on, I fast twice a week. I give tithes all that I get. Aren't I special? As if God would somehow give you a sticker and be like, well, well done. Like, you, you've impressed me. We, we don't impress God. Come on, God impresses us. He's so focused on himself. The first point that we notice about this Pharisee is that he's prideful. And I, and I emphasize this idea of prideful because I want us to try to avoid pride. I think that if we're not careful, pride can creep in. I know it can in my life, and I want to have a detection up for pride because pride is when you focus all on yourself, and when you're focused all on yourself, that's the most empty place to be. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says it like this. Come on, read it with me. Ready, set, go. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is when you're consumed and focused with yourself. You don't want to look at anybody else. You're just focused on how great you are. I don't need God. I don't need help. I don't need a small group. I don't need to go to church. I'm spiritual. You know, you're prideful. Prideful is what goes before destruction. If you find a scenario that left a whole situation destroyed, it could be a marriage, it could be a family, it could be a home, it could be a business where destruction happened. If you unlayer it back one step, you'll find pride. This is the principle of the Proverbs. You know who knew it well? David, his son Solomon, two individuals who had moments where pridefulness crept in and cost them. Pride. Solomon saying, hey, walk church, take it from me. Don't get prideful. Be careful that you don't have the religious spirit in here that says, I already know it all. You can't teach me nothing. In fact, I don't even know why I'm here. Hurry up. If you have that spirit, you're prideful. And the most loving thing is to confront your pride yourself. And turn from it and say, Lord, I don't want to be prideful. A haughty spirit before a fall. What's a haughty spirit? A haughty spirit is something that takes place within you before you fall. A haughty spirit looks down on others. A haughty spirit says, check me out, check me out, check me out. I'm dope, right? I'm cool, right? Better than, better than you, right? It says, if that's you, the fall is around the corner. You're going to end up falling, and then it's going to be embarrassing. So check your pride. Check your spirit. And learn from this parable. Come on, amen? amen. This is a word... I hope somebody watches this a year from now. It's a word for you watching this a year from now. Let this be check marks for us. High school students, listen to this. College students, middle school students, senior citizens, listen to this. Don't get prideful. Pastor Hyden, don't get prideful. Destruction's around the corner. The devil's looking for prideful people because those are the people that don't need God. He can use them to do things that somebody who had humility would say, ah, I can't do that. I need him. I need him. We, we see that right off the bat, this Pharisee is self-focused. I like how the ESV study Bible says it. Uh, the five eyes in this passage reveal the egocentricity of the Pharisee. Come on, somebody say egocentricity. egocentricity. 
We got to get away from the egocentricity. Notice he starts his prayer. He goes, God, I thank you. And then he says, because I do this, I do that. I don't do this. I do that. And five eyes, the egocentricity, rather than thanking God for what God has done for him, the Pharisee arrogantly brags to God about his own moral purity and religious piety. We see that he's deeply prideful, but we also see that the second point I feel like is worse, and that is that he's deceived. The thing that is burdening to me about the Pharisee is that he's just deceived. Guess what? He doesn't even know it. He's there, he's praying, and he's so unaware and deceived that he actually thinks I'm good. I'm justified before God. Check my credentials. Check out my resume. I do this and that and this and that and that. I don't do this. And whoa, he gets deceived really quick. He's self-righteous. And I just want to say this. This is going to be a convictor because I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this message to our church, all right? And whenever I preach a message, I preach it to me first. I just want to put that out there because we're all walking together, amen? Um, I wrote this down in my notes. I just wrote down, you could be praying and prideful. Like you could be at church, family. Hear me. You could be at church. You could be like, yo, I'm at church. I'm praying. I'm, you could like, don't fall into this. Tr- These are religious people here, right? This is not written to the atheist club. This is a, a Pharisee. You could be praying. Lord, my, my prayer life is stronger than his prayer life. I pray louder. I pray more eloquent. My Bible reading. Be careful. You could be, you could be church going and pride. You could be spiritually and pridefully missing it. And brothers and sisters, I just want to, I want to put the caution out to check yourself. Cause I think for years I read this parable and I thought that was a cool parable about other people. And I realized it's a parable about me. I'm in there somewhere. If anything, it's a, it's a check your heart parable. You could be praying and you, you could be prideful. And what happens is you start to look down upon others. When you start looking down on other people, especially in the church, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Amen. Let me just say that. It's a, it's, a, it's a scary place to be because you've drifted so far from grace, like you've drifted from being moved by the grace of God, that you actually think you earned it. And that's why we got to stay close, amen? amen. We got to stay close. Oh, I, I don't want to be deceived. You know, we talked about in the book of Galatians, we spent a, a few months before we went into the parables in the book of Galatians, and I gave you what we call Galatians gospel math. Does anybody remember what the Galatians gospel math is? Jesus plus nothing equals enough. You got it right. All right, now I want to give you parable gospel math. All right, ready? Parable gospel math. It's the same thing. Come on, right? Don't change it. Don't twist it. It is still the same. The same gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians is the same gospel that Jesus is implying in the parables, that he's enough. Why does he use such stark contrast moments. The Pharisee, the top of the top, the tax collector, the lowest of the low. Now let's go ahead and move into the tax collector. Let's give a few observations about him. 
is that we can look at ourselves rightly. Now, what's a tax collector? A tax collector is somebody who was feared amongst the land. A tax collector is somebody who you would avoid at all costs. Like you wanted to really have that like, don't knock on my door, no soliciting sign if you saw a tax collector uh, show up because they were coming to deceive you, defraud you, uh, take your money. A lot of times the tax collectors grew up with you in the same school and they turned their back on you and they got hired out by the Romans to try to deceive their own people. Tax collectors were violent in some cases. Tax collectors were rebellious in a lot of ways. Tax collectors were all about money, getting theirs and trying to lord it over the individuals in the land. Now, Jesus says the tax collectors here at the temple praying. All the things that he just mentioned that the Pharisee prayed, I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. Well, tax collectors were known for their sexual sin and their impure lifestyles. He says, I'm, great. I'm thankful that I'm not an extortioner, that, that I don't do this. In fact, here's what I do. He's, he's, he's comparing. And now let's go ahead and take a look at the tax collector's prayer. This tax collector makes his way in. Verse 13, the tax collector standing far off. Now, I look at that and I think it's important. Why? Because the tax collector doesn't rush to the front. The tax collector doesn't have to be seen by everybody. The tax collector doesn't have to pray with a loud voice, right? The tax collector says, in fact, let me just hang in the back this time. Just me and God. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Why? Because he knows God is holy, and who am I, a man of unclean lips? I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to get close. The Pharisee runs right to the front. He lost track of the holiness of God. In fact, he thinks he's holy. The tax collector standing far off would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead he, he beat his, his breast, and this isn't like a King Kong, I'm the king beat. This right here is a, God, I need help. This is a desperate plea. Amen. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a prayer. Close. So you got the Pharisees long drawn out checklist, and then you got the tax collector where he says, God, I'm going to start with you. Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Amen. Now notice what Jesus says next. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Maybe the most startling scripture in all the Bible. Because we don't know a ton about the tax collector. We just know that he's a tax collector. And we know that, we, we, we know that he came by faith. And he asked the Lord by mercy to show it to him. And Jesus said, that's all I'm looking for. Two things we learn about the tax collector. Number one, he, he had a spirit that was humble. I believe every Christian in the room, hear me, church, hear me, hear me, hear me, online, hear me. I believe all of us in the room have a reason to be humble. Right. Come on, amen? amen. All of us have a ton of reasons to be humble. I can't give you one reason to be prideful. Right. Like the only somewhat reason to be prideful is our hockey team won the cup. Come on, somebody. <laughs> My bad. I'm back. All right. We have no reason to ever in our Christian faith have an essence of pride or I'm better or I'm more righteous. 
In fact, he's God-focused. The more you view God, the more you realize, oh, I, I am not righteous. Right? Now, look, if you want to be the Pharisee and you want to compare yourself to the tax collector, for a second, you might feel righteous. But why don't you compare yourself to God? For the Pharisee, why don't you take yourself off the tax collector who's not even concerned with you, dude, and then focus your eyes on him? There's this him, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? When we turn our eye, if you, you can compare yourself maybe to him, and you, maybe you might fare okay, but you compare yourself to him, you're small. You're sinful. You need help. This tax collector says, I'm, I'm aware. I'm, I'm humble in the fact that, Lord, don't hit me with the lightning bolt. I'm a tax collector. I've made a lot of poor choices. But yet, he's not only humble, he's also aware. I love this word. Like the, the, the contrast between being deceived is, okay, well, Lord, don't let me be deceived. Let me be aware that I'm a sinner in need. I, I'm here because I need bread. I'm here not to impress. I'm here not to check a box. I'm here not to, for egocentricity. I'm here because I need bread. I'm here because I need mercy. Let me define the phrase mercy. Let me just go. He says, God have mercy on me. Mercy by definition is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. Let me, let me make the difference really quick. Okay, so grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Grace is when God says, look, I'm not only going to give you that, I'm going to put some icing on it. Grace is not just Jesus dying for us. Grace is like, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to give you gifts. He's going to fruit of the Spirit. He's going to be with you. Grace is saying, not only am I going to forgive you once, grace is, I'm going to forgive you for a lifetime. Praise God for grace. God giving you what you don't deserve. What's mercy? Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Mercy is when you recognize, one of my boys the other day made a poor choice. He goes, I'm about to be in trouble. And that was the thing he was upset about most. Is like, I know that I'm about to be in trouble. Mercy is saying, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. And, and, and doesn't that feel sweet? Here, the tax collector says, God, be merciful to me. Don't give me what I do deserve. In, in other words, he's, he's acknowledging I'm a sinner. I'm a, God, I'm aware. I don't have to fake it. Amen. Like, get to the place, church, where you don't have to fake it with God. You got to just be aware of all your, you got issues. Did you just call me out? Yeah. I, I just, I believe in the total depravity of man. You got issues. So do I. The question is, are you aware of them or not? Because the more aware you get, the more you can fix them. And then the less prideful you get, the more humble you get. I like being around humble people. I don't like being around braggers. Self-righteous folk. They have to tell you all about how awesome they are. God wants to do something in you. I don't know what side you're on, but the last two points I'll give you, I'll make them quick. Let's focus on Jesus for a second. What do we learn about Jesus? Number one, we learn that Jesus 
is God. He's God in the flesh. He's 100% deity, right? He is the God-man who came down from heaven, and he has the ability to justify. In fact, he looks at these two, and he asks the crowd, which one do you think went home justified? And he goes, the tax collector went home justified, not the other Pharisee, Jesus has the ability to say that. Me and you don't. We can't justify a thing. Oh, we'd be trying to justify ourselves till we're blue in the face, right? But only God can justify. Jesus here shows his divine authority justified. Number two, we see that Jesus, I think this is helpful. I just want to go ahead and get here that Jesus died for you. What I want to say is this. Find yourself in the story and know that Jesus paid for it. Today, if you're here and you're like, man, I didn't realize it, but I feel kind of Pharisaic. This isn't good. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to rescue you from trying to do his job. You don't need to be a Pharisee. You just need to be a son or a daughter of the Lord that put their faith in him and said, Jesus, it's you. And today, if you're the tax collector and you wandered in here and broken and dirty and sinful, Jesus died for you. Like he really wants you. Yes, you. Maybe you relate to the parable I preached a couple weeks ago about the fool and you realize, oh snap, I'm the fool. Jesus died for fools. He loves you, friend. He, he, he wants you. You might say, Pastor Hyden, why? I don't know. It's just him. Why does he want any of us? He loves you that much. He has a calling on each one of our lives. And he doesn't want us to fall into the trap of having to justify ourselves. So that's why we love Romans chapter 5, verse 1. What does Romans 5, 1 say? We'll put it up here on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, oh, friend, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you can say, man, not only does God love me, I got peace with God. We got that shalom because I've been justified, not by what I do, but what he already did. So the gospel is not about what I've done in my own strength. It's about what Jesus did with his life. And we put our faith in that. One more verse. Let me give you one more verse. We'll close. Philippians chapter three. This is the apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. Here's what he says. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, when I stack up all my credentials, and Paul had a lot. If you read Philippians 3, you'll notice that Paul, he goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm zealous, persecutor of the church, Pharisee. He goes, I got all of that. My credential list is strong. I got degrees upon degrees, studied under Gamaliel, the rabbi. He goes, but when I stack all that up, I count it as a loss compared to knowing Jesus. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Come on, somebody say rubbish. rubbish. Paul goes, you can take all my degrees. He goes, I consider them rubbish compared to knowing Jesus in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Oh, I just want to, oh, 
Come on, say it with me. Not having a righteousness of my own. Come on, rewind. Not having a righteousness of my own. One more time loud. Not having a righteousness of my own. Uh, We have no reason to be self-righteous because none of the righteousness is ours. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The question is today, have you put your faith in Christ? Jesus plus nothing is still enough. And he'll, he'll start to work out your sanctification along the journey of knowing him. He takes us from A to B and B to C. That's a walk. But when it comes to justified, that happens by faith. Two men, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Both went up to pray. One went home justified. Today, I'll tell you this. You're going to leave here at some point. Maybe you'll go to lunch, go to Sunrise Cafe, leave a good tip. Go somewhere, have some fellowship, hang out, watch the baptism. At some point, at some point, you'll go home. You might go to a house, you might go to an apartment, you might go to your friend's couch. At some point, you'll go home. Let me ask you this question. Will you go home justified? That's the question. It says these two men, but only one went home justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Whoa. That's where I want to be. Amen. Where will you be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word today. I thank you for the brothers and sisters in the room. I thank you for the tax collectors in the room. I thank you for the Pharisees in the room. I thank you for everything in between. And God, I believe right now that you are drawing people near Thank you for those online. And if you just need to pray and get right with God right now, do it. He knows your heart. He knows your story. He knows your name. If you're ready to receive Jesus and be justified by faith, I invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Just say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for my sins. I believe you died for me, shed your blood for me, rose from the grave. I want to know you. Thank you for forgiving me. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. I'm ready to follow you. I don't want to be the Pharisee. I don't want to be the tax collector. I I want to be who you've called me to be. So right now, help me to take a step in this moment by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.